Hello and welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. My name is Carrie Smith and today I've got a very special guest. I'm talking to Helena, who is a 22-year-old woman who spent the majority of her teenage years embroiled in the social justice worldview and identifying as transgender. At 18, she began using testosterone to medically transition, but realized after 17 months that this decision was misguided, which resulted in her detransitioning. Now she speaks out against the push to medicalize young people struggling with body image and identity and raises awareness for the explosion of gender dysphoria in young women, especially. Helena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you for being so patient with me getting this scheduled. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. No and worries. I'm the same way. I appreciate you waiting. So for anyone who's not familiar with you, I first became uh, familiar with you on Twitter. Uh, and anyone who doesn't follow you there, can you um, tell people a little bit about how what the topics that you tweet about on Twitter and yeah. why? Yeah, so um, I do a lot of talking about trans issues, specifically from um, my perspective as someone who used to identify as trans. I, I'm 22 right now, but around the time I was 15, um, I started, you know, getting involved in online groups um, that were very, like, pro-social justice, very, like, woke, um, and very into gender ideology, like, the gender is a spectrum, like, very new agey gender stuff. Mm -hmm. um, Were these like Facebook groups or on other uh, kinds Tumblr, of platforms? Tumblr mainly. Tumblr. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know a lot about Tumblr, it's not as popular now, but back in the day, like 2012, 2013, all the way up to like 2016 or 17, it was pretty popular. Um, it's a micro blogging platform, which just means it's, it's kind of like Twitter, but with more space for text, like people will write longer posts um, and people, it, it's also more image based. So people will share like, um, art and, and edits of photos that they do, like photography, all sorts of stuff. But, um, mainly most people use it, um, to talk about their interests. So like different fandoms, different TV shows, different celebrities that they're interested in. Um, and you get these groups, I guess, that are centered around an interest. Um, but the thing is that no matter what interest you're in really on Tumblr, um, anywhere you are in the Tumblr space, it's very, very pro social justice and super duper woke. Um, so yeah, I started getting involved in those communities and just gradually, um, it was a complicated process and we can get more into like how this mm -hmm. happened for a teenage girl. Um, but yeah, I just ended up after the course of a few years identifying as trans. And as soon as I turned 18, I went on testosterone. And I was on testosterone for about 17 months. Um, thankfully, I have recovered pretty much from that. As far as I know, I haven't gotten like a full medical checkup or anything like that. But mm -hmm. uh, as far as far as you know, like just getting on with my life, I've uh, recovered from the testosterone. But yeah, I came off testosterone um, February of 2018, so it's been a few years. Okay. And ever since then, I've just had like a complete reorganizing of the way that I think about the world and myself and political, social issues. So I do a lot of um, tweeting and also coming on podcasts. Um, I've gone to a few like events to speak, mm -hmm. um, just to raise awareness for what's going on with young women right now. 
Right. So what was the response like from the Tumblr community when you came out as someone who identified as trans? And then what has the response been since you've decided that you're detransitioning? Yeah. So um, when I first decided that I would come out as trans, it was like, it was a gradual process. So I didn't just come out one day and say I'm a boy. I started with like, I'm a demi girl. My pronouns are they, them, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just progressively got more and more towards like wanting to be a boy. Um, But yeah, every step along the way, every time I would change my pronouns or change my name or something like that, all on Tumblr, um, people would be very supportive and like send me messages being like, Oh, I support you so much. This is amazing that you're doing this and like being yourself and finding yourself. Um, so there was a lot of support there. And I also, um, a big thing on Tumblr is like most people who've been on Twitter will also recognize this, but it's like when, when you're talking about an issue, if you're like a straight white person, they would tell you that you're not allowed to have an opinion on that issue. Yes. And so that like, as a teenager, I always felt very self-conscious about that, that I wouldn't be able to speak my mind on anything. I like to speak my mind. Like I'm a pretty like opinionated person. Um, but yeah, I would always get that response that I can't say what I want to say because I'm a straight white girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I came out as trans, that kind of went away. And I now had some credibility and ability to speak on different issues. Um, yes. So that was, Aside from the support, it really felt like I could speak my mind better. You know, that's that's so interesting. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because so I was in the social justice ideology for about 20 years. Yeah. And when I've talked about it and described it or tried to describe it to people who weren't in it, um, those who are still in it will sometimes criticize me or make fun of me for saying that there are incentives for claiming oppressed identities but there are yeah absolutely. there are there are incentives in this belief system to identify as um something other than cis to identify as trans or gender fluid or bisexual or or even i I wonder if you saw this because i've seen it on twitter and uh i'm pretty sure it's on tumblr but to identify as like whatever mental health issues you have yeah 100 that was super popular on the part of tumblr where i was in yeah. Yeah. So that gives you that greater voice. Mm-hmm. So you got a lot of, um, it sounds like validation for yeah. coming out as trans or uh, that whole process of, of moving towards deciding that you were a boy. And then what was the response? From, what can you tell me a little, and we can get deeper into different parts of it, but I, but I, I'm super curious because I think I know the answer, but what was the response when you decided you were going to detransition? And did you announce that in the same communities? Um, so actually, no. Um, I kind of stopped using Tumblr around the time I started taking testosterone because I got more involved in like the trans scene at my college. Um, I went to a small liberal arts college for one year and then I dropped out just because my mental health was down the toilet. Um, but so I got very involved in like the LGBT and trans community at college. And I just stopped feeling like I needed to use Tumblr. I also stopped having those interests that I used to have as a teenager. I started developing um, different new interests um, that I just didn't want to, I didn't feel like Tumblr was really the spot for me. So I stopped using it. Um, But 
after I detransitioned, I did go back to my Tumblr account and I logged in for the first time in like a long time. And I made a post that wasn't even too controversial. I didn't really criticize any ideas. I just said that I'm detransitioning. This was not right for me. Um, and I have a very different way of looking at all of this gender stuff now. And if you'd like to follow me on other social media, you can follow me on my Twitter. And I've reconnected with a few people that way. But I did start getting messages. I logged in a f- again a few weeks later. And I saw that I had a bunch of messages like calling me a turf, calling me like, you know, a traitor, like all that kind of stuff. Um, based off of, I assume they looked at my Twitter, but back then my Twitter was not even that controversial. I'm a lot more controversial in my opinions now. Um, but yeah, so I got a lot of that. And then the most unfortunate part was one of my closest friends that I had in high school who was also mm-hmm. identifies as a trans man. I'm pretty sure still does, except this person has completely fallen off the face of the earth. I cannot find this person anywhere. I know both of their names, all of their names, and I can't find them. Um, but at the time, this person was still using Tumblr. And she sent me this really long message about how I'm just like the biggest disappointment, the biggest disgrace. um, And just like how I'm confused and I'm like, she was using stuff from my past against me, like as if I couldn't think straight or like that my detransition was somehow a manifestation of my other mental health issues and that I was just like embarrassing and, and all this kind of stuff. So that was the hardest part, like having this close, close friend, kind of just like rail into me like that and then block yeah. me on everything. Isn't it in kind of incredible that that they take detransition, they say that's a manifestation of mental health problems yeah. that you now want to identify as the as the gender, as your as your biological sex yeah. that you no longer have or you don't want to have problems with your biological sex. Yep. And but if, when you're transitioning, it's nothing but kudos and validation. And if you yeah. question anything about what if there are other underlying mental health problems that are leading one to come to this conclusion, then they call you transphobic. It's yeah. never, you're not even allowed to question. It's, it's ridiculous. And the same thing happened with one of my therapists. I had a therapist who worked wow. at like a LGBT center in Chicago because I used to live in Chicago. Um, and this therapist... I was working with her for maybe like six to eight months. I don't remember exactly. But when I started going to her, I only had doubts that I was pushing to the back of my head. So I didn't really talk about that in therapy. Um, But then over the course of like working with her, I would mention, I would bring up a few times like doubts that I would have here or there. Like a big thing for me was just missing being able to, I guess, ironically be myself. Because when I was a trans man, I was always like, I would change the way I talk. I would change the way I walk. I would change the way I moved. I would change my facial expressions. I would like, I was so on edge about not letting any part of my femininity out. Um, So I would open up about stuff like that and she would just brush it aside and just not really like she, she would move the conversation along. And then eventually when I told her that I wanted to detransition, that's when she was like super concerned and she wanted to like, go through all of my thinking behind it because this is obviously a manifestation of my other issues. Wow. Um, yeah. There's an actual therapist that it's, I was working with. Yeah. It's the exact, it's just flipped. It's yeah. completely flipped. Yep. No hesitation when you're deciding to transition anymore. Yep. And, and yep. it's amazing to me how fast this has become the norm in, yep. in the therapy community. Oh yeah. When, um, you know, it, it didn't used to, it used to be, well, let's examine what other issues there might be 
at play first. Um, so, so can you tell me, I guess, a little bit about how you identify, um, I hate, I, sometimes I even hate using that word, Helena, yeah. identify, <laughs> but how do you identify today? Um, not only, I mean, so, so you would say, do you still consider yourself trans or gender fluid or any of those things? Okay. No, I've, I've completely left the gender realm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't even really believe there's such thing as a gender identity and we can get more into why I think that if you'd like, but yeah. um, yeah, I'm just a woman. I'm a female. I'm just me. I don't identify as a woman. I just am. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that. I've, I've heard someone say before, I think it might've been Megan Murphy and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly, but I think she said something along the lines of, I don't have a gender identity. I just have a personality. Yeah. Like I just have this who yeah. I am. Um, yeah. Why don't we get into a little bit of that? What What is it? What do you think about the whole concept of gender identity now? So I don't think gender identity is really a useful way to talk about the human experience. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons why someone might feel a disconnect from their sex, um, why someone might feel a disconnect from their, the, the roles that they feel society expects of them. Um, there's a lot of reasons why someone might feel like they don't really belong with other members of their sex. Um, but I think a lot of those things boil down to just natural variations in personality. Mm-hmm. And obviously if you are different from the group, you're going to feel, you're going to, especially if you don't have supportive parents, you're going to grow up feeling different and self-conscious and insecure and like something's wrong with you especially if you're actually getting ostracized and bullied, which is unfortunately something that humans do. Um, So most of it boils down to that. Just people who have a lot of shame and just a strong feeling of being so different that they can't really cope with it. Mm -hmm. I also think that there's a possibility and some research has shown this, that gender dysphoria actually can be caused by neurological differences in the brain. Um, And that isn't to say that, some people will claim that, um, you know, trans people have the same brain as the opposite sex, just in the wrong body. That's not what the research shows. The research shows that there's differences in certain parts of the brain that process how your body relates in space, like how you map your body physically as you're thinking and going about life. Like there's some differences there. So there might be a, a genuine condition or group of conditions um, that exists that causes someone to feel this wrongness about their body. Um, but I think that all of these things are very different and different people are going to arrive to the feeling that they don't belong in their sex through different routes. And that's not even to mention the ideological aspect. Some people are legitimately just kind of brought into the gender ideology and that kind of induces the feeling of dysphoria, which I feel is very true for me. But I don't feel any of this describes the existence of a gender identity that everybody has. I think these are very complex individualized situations, but gender identity is not the way for me to really think about it. Right. Do you think that you're making me think of an interesting question for people who are in this belief system and people like your therapist who are inclined to push people in one direction yeah. And, and push them pretty, it sounds uh, <laughs> pretty passionately in one direction and, and, and discourage them from the other, other direction. If you were to ask them, okay, 
some studies show there might be neurological differences in the brain. If we were to be able to identify and pinpoint the the source of those neurological differences, and let's say there was a magic pill that fixed those those variations, would you support that? I think that's an interesting question because they, what do you think they would say? A magic pill that would get rid of the dysphoria or a magic pill that would transition you to the opposite sex? No, a magic pill that would get rid of the dysphoria. So you wouldn't have those problems you're describing with mapping your body. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think it, I think that the approach someone who's like very into the gender ideology would have is that that's, I can just see it now. They would say that's genocide of trans people. Cause you're Isn't like, it? they would compare it probably to like, Oh, what if you found the gene for homosexuality and you took it out of the genome and made someone straight? Yeah. Like I feel like try to equate it with that, that you're, that you're trying to get rid of a whole class of people because they believe trans people are a whole class of people. Um, so it's inter- that's such, that's what I think they would say too, which is yeah. so interesting to me because on the one hand, if your goal is to help someone get rid of the dysphoria, the feelings of uncomfortableness in their body, and you're going to support one approach, which is to, to, you know, uh, hormone treatment and surgery in some cases, you're going to support that, support a transition to the other biological sex, but you wouldn't support a medicine if there, if one existed that just got rid of the feelings of dysphoria. It's such a weird thing. It's like, no, but we're willing to do this, but not this thing over here. Yeah. And I think that the root of that is because in, in the belief system, in the ideology, it's society and the fact that society, well, they believe um, that society has ascribed meaning to people's bodies in terms of gender and like these gender roles, they call it cissexism. Um, that if you're, if you have a vagina, you're supposed to be feminine. If you have a you know, it's just supposed to be masculine and, and you're male or female or whatever. Um, they believe that it's society's fault that people feel this. So the way to get rid of people's dysphoria is to one, tell society that no, you're not a female if you have a vagina and vice versa for males. And two, it's to let people have body autonomy and do whatever they want with their body to make themselves feel mm-hmm. comfortable in a society that oppresses them. So I think that's why they wouldn't support something like that because in their view, you would be victim blaming. You'd be blaming the person for feeling the dysphoria and trying to change their brain instead of changing society. But even as I say that, there's so many conflicting messages there. And that goes to show that there's not really one single worldview when it comes to the trans stuff. Like there's different schools of thought that originate from different places that are all kind of converging together to create this hot mess. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think it is a hot mess. Yeah. I think it used to be, it used to be that, you know, we've interviewed, I don't know if you're familiar with Buck Angel. We've interviewed Buck yeah. Angel before. And some of the old school trans folks that I just, I don't know personally, it, it used to be sort of a last resort. If you, after you've exhausted other options and therapy yeah. and tried to resolve the dysphoria and the feelings that you don't belong in your body. And then as an adult, this last resort option, well, then I'm going to try to transition. Yeah. And it's an individual thing and an individual choice. And, and then I think what I think what happened is that it just got, it got uh, sucked up by the social justice ideology sucked into it the same way feminism did the same way, um, you know, the civil rights struggle 
over a period of years, you know, then the, then anti-racism got pulled into it. And, and yeah. once it got pulled into it, then it, then it's like, now it's an ideology. Now it's, yeah. it's not, Hey, this individual person should decide what's best for them. Yeah. And now it's sort of, you know, no, everyone needs to do this. Um, it, it's a sexism if you don't. And mm-hmm. if you decide you want to detransition, I'm going to have to push back against that and say that's some yep. sort of, you know, you're a victim of a cis-sexist society. Yep. I say that three times fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're pretty young. Uh, I, I was wondering, you're 22. I say this as an old lady. What What are you thinking? What do you think about the possibility of... Do you think that your experience is an anomaly or do you think there are going to be a lot of people, young people who start to detransition and what is that going to look like in society? Are we going to start to see lawsuits? Well, there's already a lot of people. Um, Just like if you go on Twitter, I know I I saw that you just retweeted it, but I have like a little thread on Twitter where I list some of my favorite detransitioners that I follow. And that's just the people who are public. There's a lot of people with with their accounts locked down. They're struggling a lot and they'll like, I've, I've met them through Twitter, but it's like, they don't publicly talk about it because the consequences of what they've been through have just like, just really hurt them. Um, so they don't speak about it publicly. And there's, there's, there's that. There's also the subreddit r dtrans r slash dtrans. Um, that subreddit has blown up. I'm not really sure how many they have now, but it's gotta be like, it's in the thousands for sure, over 10,000 for sure members. Um, and that subreddit is interesting because you're not allowed to post there unless you're a detransitioner or a healthcare provider. So there's more and more posts every day. There's just like posts all the time. And there's no one who isn't a detransitioner who's, who's posting there. So you can just see there's more and more people, um, lots of people who are questioning their transition, feeling regret, but they don't know what to do about it. A lot of people in crisis just don't, they don't know what to do. It's, it's such a huge moment. Um, so there's already a lot of people. And I think that it's going to get worse because even as I sit here right now, having been screaming about this at the top of my lungs for three years, it's still happening. I mean, we're only now just starting to have people catch on and realize a lot of people because it's affecting their personal lives, like parents or family members who have loved ones who are going through this. Um, but yeah, people are finally starting to realize, but unfortunately it's still happening. Like there's still young girls just like I was when I was 15 who are, you know, trying to get their hands on testosterone and surgery. So I definitely think that there's going to be more. It seems to me like you, you said young girls, it seems to me like it, there's more, more women who are being affected by this, more girls than boys. Just yeah. when I look through the detransition videos on YouTube and people sharing their stories, why do you think that women are more susceptible to becoming convinced that they're trans than, yeah. than men? Well, there's definitely more girls, but I kind of, um, I hesitate to say it's like all girls because there's right. definitely more boys. The thing is that they tend to speak out even less than girls do. There's just so much shame there. Um, so yeah, there's that, but there, there are more girls that this is happening to. And I think it's because one young girls are more likely to have, um, 
just very deep self-esteem issues when they're teenagers. And I know boys do too, but the way that girls do it, it's, it's different. There's a lot of, um, just this hyper focus on the body and hyper focus on how you look. And there's a lot of hatred for the body that happens to young girls, especially girls who have a history of maybe not the warmest family life or even trauma, sexual trauma. That's really, really common in these girls. Um, so there's this just obsession with the body and this wanting to become someone else. Um, and there's also puberty, I think is harder for girls than it is for boys because I mean, I've, I've even talked to a lot of my male friends about this and, and a lot of their issues with puberty kind of stemmed from just feeling socially awkward and like the social aspect, but with female puberty, it's like your body is changing in such radical ways. And some girls have a really hard time with this. They have really severe PMS. They have embarrassing period related moments. Um, their breasts are growing, their hips are growing. And this is very hard for girls, especially who have childhood sexual trauma. So there's just so many ways in which for girls specifically, they can become hyper-focused on their bodies and blame all of their problems on their bodies. Yeah. So I think that's where this, that's where that initial feeling, that susceptibility to gender dysphoria comes from. And then there's also the fact that girls are, have, girls are more reliant on social acceptance. Um, girls have, and this is even, again, showed in a lot of research that girls, especially at the ages of like 12 to 18, just like social rejection causes extreme distress in our brains when we're at that age. So if you are already rejected at school, a lot of these girls don't have a lot of friends at school. They're a little bit weird. They're nerdy. They're even autistic or they have trauma and that kind of sets them apart from other people. Um, they gravitate towards the internet and the internet becomes their world. And it's the internet has a lot of different rules than real life does. And one of the ways that you can assert yourself is to fall in line with this ideology and try to get higher and higher on that hierarchy that we were talking about. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things that converge again and just create the perfect storm for so many girls to be going down this route. Yeah. It, it, I, I think you're dead on about a lot of that. And I think, um, there's also an element of social contagion where something gets introduced that mm-hmm. people had not considered before or would, would not have come to the, that idea on their own. But yeah. I remember in the nineties after, I think it was, a sh- I think it was the show Allie McBeal um, addressed anorexia and then there was just an increase in the numbers of girls who were, were anorexic. Yeah. And it was like an anorexia and bulimia epidemic. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with cutting, you know, yeah. this, this, these things get introduced and then somebody may not have wound up there on their own, um, but they've seen it modeled. And then it's like, oh, that puts an idea in my head in a, yeah. in a weird way. So the difference between anorexia and cutting and then the trans thing, though, the very obvious important difference is that the first two, there was a lot of um, uh, uh, 
messaging and stuff that 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 recognize these things as unhealthy and as bad for you and as things you want to try and avoid and heal from and the messaging around deciding that you're trans is totally the opposite like the schools are pushing it in a way yeah. it's like you need yeah. to determine kids i've seen literature for kindergartners that says yeah. you know this is what your gender identity is and it doesn't have to be the same as your biological sex and you have to figure these things out and it's like wow most kids never had to figure this out like they never figured it out a, a very small fraction of a percentage of kids dealt with this and now you're telling everyone to deal with it and so. i think that's what makes it more dangerous almost i mean i know and i've struggled with eating disorders too mm -hmm. um which is another thing that's very common in this population a lot of these mm -hmm. young girls who are transitioning they also have eating disorders it's super super common um but yeah i think that a big difference obviously is that as you said um the anorexia and bulimia that's not really supported but in their echo chambers, it's supported. It is. In their echo chambers, they have this messaging that this is the best lifestyle. This is like this what this is what makes you strong. This is what like it's super super supported, and that's kind of how it felt when I was younger. So when I was fifteen, the woke stuff in the mainstream population was just kind of beginning. This was around the time that like Ferguson happened. So I feel like that was one of those major moments that kind of like brought this to the forefront. Um, yes. But before that, like there wasn't really all this social justice in the mainstream. I had nothing at school that was telling me this. Um, so for me, it, it very much did feel like something that I was doing to be kind of rebellious, but, and it was also very, very supported in my echo chamber in a very similar way to like the anorexia stuff. The fact that it was um, kind of unheard of in the mainstream and my parents totally freaked out and um, I felt like I had to keep it a secret because it would not really fly with my real life people. But then it was so supported on the internet. I feel like that kind of makes it similar, at least my experience. Um, but even in, in the situation where it is very supported at school, I think it still serves the same purpose. So when you're thinking about a girl who, you know, a lot of the times has a history of trauma or a history of bullying or just a history of being very socially self-conscious or maybe just problems at home that aren't necessarily trauma, but it's like she's maybe getting ignored because it's like a divorce going on or something like that. Something that's causing her to feel a lot of really complex and deep emotions that young people just don't know how to deal with. Mm -hmm. And then something like this comes along, especially if she's focusing all of that like with girls, let's say that she's awkward and doesn't have a lot of friends. Sometimes in her head, she'll blame that on the way she looks. Um, so they'll hyper-focus on their bodies. And then something like this, whether it be an eating disorder and the community around that eating disorder or the gender dysphoria and the community around that gender dysphoria, that comes along and it serves a purpose in helping her cope with what she's going through and making her feel like there's somewhere down the line, there's a way out. Yeah. That's, that's how it is with eating disorders. Like, you know, somewhere down the line, there's a way out once you reach that weight that you want. Um, and it's the same with the gender dysphoria. Somewhere down the line, you'll get testosterone and you'll get surgery and you won't have to live in this body that you hate anymore. Um, yeah. So it, there is that difference between how it's supported or not supported in the real world, but it serves the same purpose in my opinion. 
Well, speaking of that, what do you think it was that uh, woke you up in regards to social justice ideology? Or alternately, if you want to answer, like, what was it that made you or that led to you deciding this, hey, this wasn't for me after all? Because yeah. I think I think what you're saying there is also something people see with with other things. I've, I, I used to work with comedians. I used to manage comics. And I remember having a conversation with a client once where it was sort of people will put all this stock in things I'm going to get. Like once I get that TV show, I'm going to yeah. be happy. Once I get that book deal, I'm going to be happy. Yes. And then they arrive there and they're still the same person. Yeah. <laughs> you're still, you're still yeah. waking up with yourself every day. And, yeah. and then sometimes that can be very crushing. Cause it's like, wait a minute, but I got the thing that I was yeah. waiting for and I'm not, I'm still not happy. And then sometimes they, that will plunge you into a depression. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know if you had a similar thing, but I'm wondering if there was some kind of recognition. That's a long question, but. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's very much what it's like, except with this. And again, I have been extremely fortunate in the fact that I did not suffer any major health problems. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who they have suffered surgery complications or testosterone just really messed up their hormones or messed up their reproductive organs. And now they're just outside of the psychological aspect, they're truly suffering and in pain. Um, so I got very fortunate in that, but you know, you climb the mountain and you get to that thing that you've been coveting and you finally get it. And not only do you realize that it hasn't made you happy, you realize that it's completely derailed your life and just completely shatter like i don't know i remember when i first kind of made this realization i was pushing the thoughts of doubt into the back of my head but then something happened and the dam just broke and i just started sobbing i just had this intense weight fall on me that i threw away friends my family life is it wasn't great in the beginning but now it's in complete shambles um i don't know if i'll ever look my thought was, I don't know if I'll ever look normal again. Cause I felt like I looked very weird. Um, and I just, I just completely derailed my life. I dropped out of school. I, my mental health, the way testosterone affected my brain just kind of made me go insane. And my mental health was just awful. Worst period of my life. And so I sat there realizing that not only has this not given me what I thought it would give me, I was expecting like rainbows and happiness and finally not hating myself, but I hated myself 10 times more. I was 10 times more unstable and depressed. I had no idea what the future held for me. I didn't know if I ruined my body and ruined my life. I didn't know if I would ever be able to have kids. Um, so it's just like this, your life is just shattered. That's how it feels. Wow. I don't know if that answered your question. Or that not. did you answer my question. Well, you had kind of that you had that moment of just sobbing and, and realization. And then, and then after that, what, what was that period? Like, was it a slow process of climbing out of that? Yeah, it's, I'm still climbing out of it. It's crazy. Like this all happened three years ago, but I still feel like it's changed me forever. Mm -hmm. um, just what I went through just psychologically, I didn't even go through health problems, but just psychologically what I went through, like crazy, still recovering from it. But, um, yeah. So the following period, I was just 
totally terrified, filled with regret. Like that feeling of regret is almost indescribable. I was like, I did not like the spell broke and I was like, what possessed me? I felt like I'd been possessed. I literally felt like there had been a, (laughs) a demon that invaded my body and made me do this to myself. Um, and it, it was like, I remember feeling like when I was 15, I went to sleep. And then for the next five years, I was just asleep and just piloted by something else. And then in that moment I woke up and I was 15 again. Like that's how I felt that (laughs) last five years, they weren't me. So that's so, uh, you're gonna make me emotional. (laughs) It's, uh, it's weird. Cause I didn't, I didn't go through what you went through. I didn't have issues with my gender identity or think I was trans or any of that, yeah. but just being um, pulled into the social justice ideology for as long as I was for, for two decades. Yeah. And it's a slow process. As you probably know, you, you first accept a few tenets of the belief system, yeah. then a few more and then a few more. And, mm-hmm. and when I finally left it, which was a long process also of leaving it. And in some ways I've described it as those are the missing years. Yeah. And it, it's almost, it can, you can look at it and I, I try to look at it in a positive way. I'm like, um, I'm learning a lot of the stuff. I'm doing a lot of the stuff that I should have been doing in my early twenties. I'm growing in ways I should have been growing in my early twenties. Cause I kind of put my, put my, uh, my development on pause for a long time. I quit reading. I only read the cult approved books, you know, the white fragility kind of books, you know, it was, it was, I, I lost interest in things like history. And, um, I, I, sometimes I wonder if you feel this way, but I didn't, I, I didn't so much engage in thinking as I engaged in what I think a lot of social justice people do, which is just sort of a mental categorization and sorting a sorting through of the approved beliefs and tenets to make sure I spit out the right ones. Yeah. Yeah. And to help things make sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like there wasn't a lot of genuine, like creative novel thought about issues, like no critical thinking, just kind of, um, you get handed, you get handed blocks basically. And you form all of your thoughts and all of your opinions out of these blocks that were given to you. Yes. Yes. Well, so the positive way I've chosen to look at it, and maybe you can look at it this way too, is that, Hey, I'm in my early forties, but in some ways I feel emotionally in my twenties and maybe that's a good, maybe that could be viewed as a good thing instead of a loser. thing. (laughs) (laughs) I have a, I'm like, uh, but on the other hand, I'm sure at least this has been my experience that I feel like because of those years that I lost and because of that experience, I feel like I just understand humanity so much more. And I feel like I, yeah. I'm sure beyond what a, a lot of my peers in my age group are just because I, I have been through this and I have experienced this crazy, crazy life earth-shattering experience of having your whole worldview flipped upside down. I think that's true about you. You yeah. have a wisdom to you that I don't encounter in a lot of 22-year-olds. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> certainly not in my 22-year-old self. I'll say that. <laughs> um, so what are you What are you working on now? Um, what is your goal with your Twitter account? 
And uh, if you want to tell people, we'll put this in the description as well, but if you want to tell people if they want to follow your work and what you're doing, where they can find you. Yeah, so the goal with my Twitter account is to just get as much attention about this issue as possible in, you know, a nuanced way. Because of how extreme some of this is, like a lot of people have very extreme moral opinions about this, and so do I. Like, that's what motivates me. I'm not on the fence whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I want to call attention to this, but in a way that shines a light on how complicated it is, because it's not one thing. It's not, you know, the liberals coming and snatching your daughter out of bed at night. Um, it's extremely complicated. And yeah, so I, I really want to just raise awareness and expand the way people think about this. Um, and also encourage a lot of compassion because it's very easy to like, you know, hate on the social justice warrior girl. Mm. And I do that sometimes. I mean, how can you not? But at the same time, it's a symptom, both of things in each person's individual life and also of societal problems. Yeah. So I think it's just important to really get to the bottom of what this is and act accordingly. Because if we make assumptions just powered by our emotional reactions, like our moral, moral emotional reactions, I don't think we're going to be very successful or persuasive. So that's my goal with my Twitter. Um, and also just using it to have more conversations like this, just come on and share my story and share the way I look at this. Um, so that hopefully people can use that information in their lives. So if someone, if a loved one is going through this, um, any stage of it, whether they're transitioning or detransitioning, they can understand it a little bit more and, and know what to do. And also, you know, pay attention to what's being taught their, to their kids at school and pay attention to just the fact that this problem is happening and it's going on. Right. If there's anyone who is watching this, who is struggling with detransitioning, were there resources that you found that helped you? Were there, were there any um, thought leaders, anyone in particular that helped you? And yeah. Um, so when I was first going through this, there was almost nothing. Like even the detransition subreddit was barely existed. I think it had like 70 members or something like that. Um I kind of want to know how many there are. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. So I can relay how big of a difference it is to everyone listening. Um, now it has 19,305 members. And obviously those aren't wow. all detransitioners, but there's right. a lot of people who are detransitioners and it's a very active subreddit. So just to go back to how we were talking about, okay, that's grown a lot. Um, what was the question? I'm sorry. Oh, just if there were any resources that you knew of for people who are detransitioning or what right. would you suggest they do if they're looking to find others and mm -hmm. support? So the detransition subreddit is definitely great. Um, I also encourage people who aren't detransitioners to just take a look. Obviously you can't post, but just take a look. Um, sometimes there are things that are very hard to read on there, like very upsetting, but I think it's important to understand the reality. Um, so definitely that subreddit is a really awesome resource. Also, um, for me, a big thing was Twitter. Before I detransitioned, I, I barely used Twitter. I still use the same account as I did when I was trans, but I didn't really post a lot. 
Um, and so I started finding other detransitioners and I also found some non detransitioned women who are now very close friends who are active in the space. So I found, um, Denise who runs the blog fourth wave now. Um, she also has a Twitter account, amazing account. She just posts so many facts and like exposes so many different things about this issue. Um, so highly recommend that. Um, but her blog was one of the first things that showed me the other side of this movement that I had supported for so long. Um, that was huge for me. Um, and then I met another woman that was very influential to me, Brie, but I don't think she has a, I don't think she's super public with, with any of this. She's kind of just doing her own thing now, but at the time she was, um, yeah. So just meeting people on Twitter, meeting people on Reddit and just like talking and having those conversations. That was really important. Um, yeah. And I eventually found a actual good therapist. I've been through a lot of bad therapists, but, um, yeah. So my therapist has been really helpful too. And yeah, just making other friends outside of detransition as well. Yeah. Normal people. Yeah. I think that's so important. Well, Helena, thank you so much for coming on uh, Deprogrammed. We're going to make sure to plug where people can find you in the, um, in the comments, look below. And uh, I appreciate you being here today, having this conversation. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the Cathedral. Pay no attention to it. The following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. As a reminder, continued association with cancelled individuals is strictly prohibited. Violators will be subject to fair and objective sentencing, which may include cancellation, re-education, and compassionate liquidation. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Did you know that deer no longer wear Kevlar vests? Only we do that. So you won't need that silly thing anymore. Why not hand it over? Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.